0: Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric, you and I will be going to Las Vegas in a little under three weeks to Mm -hmm. podcast during fight week for Javante Davis versus Ryan Garcia. So I hope you're ready. I hope you have your dancing shoes and your nightclub clothes ready (laughs) because...
0: Look out, Las Vegas. We are two wild and crazy guys. <laughs> that's how you know two guys are not wild and crazy when they <laughs> describe themselves as such. Uh, yeah, you, dancing shoes and, and nightclub clothes you mentioned. Uh, let, that's, that's the thing, right? Let that's, me tell you something, Karen. That's what. The the, there are no shoes magical enough to make this pathetic husk <laughs> of a body dance, and uh, and 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 when you put the words night and clothes anywhere near each other, the only thing I picture is pajamas. Um, uh, actually, yes. in in terms of like nightclubs, that life. Um, the other day I was flipping channels. Uh, another sign that I'm an old man, as people under 40 do not flip channels. Um, but uh, I'm uh, scrolling through and I landed on uh, the movie Knocked Up just as it was starting and uh, settled in, watched the first 20 minutes or so. And there's the scene where Seth Rogan and his group of dudes are standing in the line outside the club and the two women just walk right up and get let right in while they've been out there for God knows how long. And uh. I can't believe that I used to participate in this expensive, fruitless right. ritual in my 20s. And so, so you know, when we walk around Vegas at night and see people in line for the club, my God, it, it just makes me so happy to be married and not a part of that scene. I mean, honestly, I, I do enjoy Vegas. The food, a little gambling, not to mention the fights and hanging out with our friends in the boxing world. That's all great. But uh, whatever people think of as nightlife in Vegas, hell no.
1: Yeah, you lost me at walk around vegas at night
0: (laughs) that's a good point yeah i'm probably uh that's probably setting an unrealistic expectation there for me to suggest that i might do such a thing
1: yeah my vegas nights are going to be the same as they always are in my hotel room at seven streaming bob's burgers and eating egg salad sandwiches that's just the way (laughs) it is for me these days my my vegas
0: night life is even sadder and more washed than my home life (laughs) wow and that's saying something wow he says (laughs) yeah egg salad sandwiches huh that's 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 the capper that's the that those three words that convinced me you may just be a bigger loser and more washed than i am which again that's that's a big statement i
1: i can do it more i can make it five five words gas station egg salad sandwiches
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep yep we sunflower there it is. I will say though, this this is this is going to be a blast, and uh, and and I do expect it will translate into some uh, top notch podcast content for the Raskin and Mulvaney heads out there.
1: Indeed, indeed. Um, talking of top notch podcast content, mm. um, this week we will be previewing not one but two Showtime triple headers as we have both a showbox card on Friday and a Showtime Championship boxing event on Saturday to look forward to, analyze, make picks for, and so forth. Uh, we will also preview fights for Shakur Stevenson, Bam Rodriguez, Muradjan Um We will cover outside the ring news, we'll play the fight game, and Eric will count down the top five in-fight trainer moments of all time, and we'll find out once and for all where pour some water on his balls! <laughs> Well, we start with a quick look at this past Saturday's action, which featured one of the biggest stars
0: in the sport snapping a two-fight losing
1: streak, not in the most
0: emphatic fashion. Yeah, that big star would be Anthony Joshua, who won convincingly over Jermaine Franklin at the O2 Arena in London, but didn't score a knockout and really didn't come close to scoring one, and received a lot of criticism for being overly cautious as he earned a unanimous decision by scores of 118-111 and 117-111 twice, I thought friend of the podcast, Bill Detloff, had a tweet that summed up nicely how most fight fans seem to feel. He tweeted, this is excruciating, like watching someone drive a Corvette 30 miles under the speed limit. Uh, This was AJ's first fight with new trainer, Derek James, another friend of the podcast. And I guess the question here is whether this was just fighter and trainer easing into working together and, and not a performance we should read too much into, or... A performance we should read plenty into and a sign that AJ, now 33 years old, is just never going to get back to being the destructive force he once was. Kieran, do you have a take on that question? And, and any other thoughts on Joshua's performance as he got back in the win column for the first time since 2020? You know, Carl Frotz had an interesting
1: comment afterwards, and he said, what motivates him? I don't understand why he's fighting. I just don't. And... Certainly Joshua gave the impression to me of someone who himself didn't know exactly why he was fighting other than it is expected of him by mm-hmm. others and indeed by himself. Um, there's a simple answer. It's what he does. It's all he's done, essentially. Mm-hmm. He, he's found tremendous wealth and adulation from doing it. He's still pretty damn good at it, and he'd like to continue doing it, all of which is entirely reasonable. But it looked to me watching him... The, it looked like someone who is who's still trying to convince himself that he's good at it, and and that he knows how to do it, and that he still wants to do it. And I don't know this for certain, of course. I'm I'm just making this up, but it but it feels. I I suspect that he feels that he can't walk away now, because if he does, especially on the back of the last year or two, he'll feel unfulfilled. He'll have questions and doubts. But right now, it feels as if he's carrying those questions and doubts into the ring with him. Um, i guess the glass half full view is that he comprehensively defeated a decent fringe-ish contender who'd recently given dillian white a much tougher time than expected and he did it without ever really getting out of second gear and i you could make the case that he improved as the fight went on particularly in the very latter stages of it he moved more freely over the last few rounds seemed more interested in letting his hands go since just relax into the idea of being in the ring um although of course franklin was tiring at that and moving less well right. uh, at that point which made it easier for joshua to do so but it did leave me wishing he could have another fight or two and another training camp or two with Derek james before going anywhere near uh, any of the other big guns like like tyson fury but i also get why he wouldn't want that he, he he's 33 he doesn't have the best chin in the world and in the heavyweight division just about anyone can get poleaxed by just about anyone else if the right punch lands in the right place and and that's why you know sort of set up fights or 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 you know take stay busy fights are are extremely dangerous um he's in a frustrating place really i was thinking about this in that in that he has all these elements to again be the champion he's more athletic than Tyson Fury or he looks more athletic than Tyson Fury he's a better boxer than Deontay Wilder he's a bigger puncher than Alexander Usyk he's got faster hands and feet than Joe Joyce but the whole is less than the sum of those parts and yeah. um, right now I put him as the fifth best heavyweight I think he's behind Joe Joyce now as well as well as Wilder and Fury yeah. and Usyk um oh he's had a great career and he's a good, thoughtful dude. I, watching his in-ring post-fight interview, I was reminded of how much I enjoyed talking with him before the Klitschko fight. It's one of the best interviews I've ever done. I like the man. Um, he'll always have that night in Wembley. He'll always have, you know, the Olympic gold. But it just feels... And I don't think it's a physical thing. its I think it's as much as anything a mental thing. And when I, once Andy Ruiz put him down that first time, it feels in hindsight as if that was the beginning of the end. And it just feels as if the aj train is almost at the end of its journey because he's just thinking too much about right. what he's doing and he is trying and i think failing to convince himself that he's that he's still a good boxer so I, I just i i'm not too sure and again like i think he's the fifth best heavyweight in the world that's great that's a really good position <laughs> to be in right, right. That's fantastic but from where he's been that's not enough. And and I just don't know quite what happens from here on out, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, the he's thinking too much has kind of been the problem with him for a few years now, it yeah. seems. And I hadn't even, this question hadn't crossed my mind at any point until just now listening to, to you talk. We'll try and, um, this is a question we could spend 10 minutes thinking about deeply and exploring, but sort of a quick gut answer. If his career ended right now, if he decided to walk away, is Anthony Joshua a Hall of Famer? i don't think so i've thought about it i don't think so i don't either except that heavyweights get a little more leeway and like a riddick bow is in the hall of fame so maybe if he is then then anthony joshua you look back and say he reigned as the king of the heavyweights for a little bit there and he did beat vladimir klitschko i think he's a guy who people will make a case for him but i land for now on the same side as you that he has not done enough to get my vote at this point
1: yeah, but it's also, like, it's that Ingo Mario Hansen test, isn't it? It's like, Ingo's in the in the hall, isn't right, he, I think? Right,
0: right. He's another good example, so, yeah. So, standards. Ken, Ken um, Norton um, there, yeah. The heavyweights, if you kind of had a moment at the top, you it yeah. counts for more than uh, a lightweight who had a moment at the top.
1: Yeah, and if it's Hall of Fame... Right. You know, I mean, what what he did in the UK and what he's done for, for UK boxing and, and all of that is, is a factor. But based solely, if you look solely at the quality, I think of his heavyweight reign, because I have been thinking about this. OK, I don't think so. I could see him getting in on a quiet year. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, definitely. But it's yeah, it's it's it yeah, it's at best such and go for me right now, I think. Mm. Um, but anyway, the other fight of note on Saturday took place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For a vacant featherweight strap, two-time Olympic gold medalist Rabisi Ramirez facing former 122-pound belt holder Isaac Dogbe. Uh, You were looking forward to this one quite a lot, Eric, Uh, but it wasn't as competitive, I think, as you'd hoped. Uh, Ramirez winning by lopsided scores of 117-110, 118-109, and 119-108 with a debatable knockdown call in the 12th, making the scores. Extra wide, but ultimately making no difference. Um, Dog Bay did have moments, but he just couldn't get enough work done against the Seth Paul Ramirez to win rounds. Uh, Eric, what did you think of Ramirez here? Is he on his way
0: to living up to all that hype in the end, after all? I'm of two minds. Uh, on the one hand, I respect Dog He's a very good fighter. So a lopsided win over him tells you Ramirez is no joke. He must have some elite level abilities. But watching the actual fight, minute by minute and round by round, I don't know. Ramirez is very flawed. Definitely doesn't jump off the screen and look like a guy who's going to be as great as a pro as he was as an amateur. His footwork is really bad at times. Uh, Maybe you could euphemistically call it unorthodox, but uh, the the fundamentals just aren't there, which is strange for such an accomplished amateur. And he's mostly a one-handed fighter with that left hand. Uh, If... As an opponent, if you can account for his left hand, you you can beat him. Uh, the left hand is very good and very versatile, too. He's effective with the overhand left, the uppercut, sort of hybrid angle, semi uppercut. I don't know. I mean, he was doing something to neutralize Dog Bay. Um, but I also think he's fortunate. Dog Bay seems not to have carried any power up from 122 to 126. Dog Bay couldn't hurt Ramirez at all, and that helped make it such a comfortable win for Ramirez. And look, it was a very good win. Best opponent he's beaten so far. A a huge stride for a guy who lost his pro debut and has had to work extra hard to build himself back up from that. But I look at the rest of the featherweight division. Dog Bay was number nine in the TBRB rankings. So now Ramirez will presumably enter the top 10, and he certainly should. But like the guys at the top, I think Mauricio Lara kicks his ass. I think Brandon Figueroa kicks his ass. I'd favor Lee Wood over Ramirez. Bottom line, I'm not sold. He's a good fighter, a real contender now at featherweight. But, you know, he had like future pound for pounder hype when he turned pro. And I'm just not seeing that. Um, So we'll see. This was another good step for him, but I'm I'm not quite seeing it. Uh, And by the way, uh, one quick side note. It was interesting watching this fight after compiling my forthcoming list of great trainer moments because uh, Barry Hunter, He really tried everything uh, Mm. to motivate Dog Bay. Um, Nothing he did uh, on Saturday night is cracking the top five or even the top 50. I don't (laughs) need to reorganize my list. But those were some entertaining corner cut-ins. I love me some Barry Hunter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. That's this past Saturday night. Uh, Let's spin it forward to next Saturday night at 10
1: Eastern. 7 Pacific Showtime Championship Boxing returns to the oft renamed venue in Carson, California, which our friend Mauro Ronaldo likes to call the punch bowl with a triple header of action. Uh, This is the 20th Showtime card at this venue across 20 years. It feels like it should be more somehow, but there you go. Um, It has hosted a couple of fight of the year winners already. Maybe it has another one in it. as uh, so We are getting a fight of the year every week pretty much these, right. this year. Um, so when Sebastian Fundora, who defeated Carlos Acampo in the same ring last October, takes on Brian Mendoza in a scheduled 12 rounder at 154 pounds. The 25-year-old Fundora is undefeated at 20-0-1 with 13 KOs, while Mendoza is 29 years old, 21-2 and with 15 KOs, And coming off a career-best win over former titleist Jason Rosario, a middleweight fight that Mendoza took on just 10 days' notice. When we had Breadman Edwards on the podcast several weeks ago, he mentioned this fight and said he could see Mendoza spring in the upset. Eric, what does Mendoza bring to the
0: table here? And what do you think Breadman's seeing in this matchup? You know, I'm not entirely sure what Breadman is seeing. Mendoza's a good fighter, you know, no pushover. But I wonder if maybe it stems from Breadman just being less sold on fundora than some of us are that could be it look we know fundora is a a nightmare matchup for almost anyone as a six foot five and a half inch southpaw who's dangerous in close on top of having all that reach but there are certain things mendoza brings to the table that i would say give him a chance here um first off let me say his biggest fight's They've all been on short notice, not just the win over Rosario, but also his loss to Jesus Ramos in 2021. That was on two weeks notice. So immediately, there's something possibly different here, a big fight that Mendoza got to spend a full training camp preparing for. Perfectly good chance we see a better version of Mendoza than ever before. Maybe that's part of what Breadman is banking on. Mendoza has very good footwork. He can glide around the ring make it hard for Fundora to get set and throw his punches. He's a very sharp counter puncher with both hands. In fact, um, he has an excellent left hook, but uh, also it was that beautiful right uppercut that knocked out Rosario in the fifth round. So this is a guy who can catch you with either hand, but he also has some glaring deficiencies. Uh, Mendoza doesn't have great defense. Uh, mostly he just freezes and covers up when the punches are coming at him. He's mostly a single shot puncher. We, we Just don't see a lot of combination punching out of him. It's mostly singular quick shots. And, you know, there's some question about how he'll cope with Fundora's southpaw stance. Uh, Jesus Ramos is a lefty. Mendoza lost a wide decision to him. Although, as we know, Ramos is a top prospect, whether lefty or righty. He's a tough guy to overcome. One thing on Mendoza's side, he's trained by Ismael Salas, an outstanding trainer. Uh, We just saw him in Robisi Ramirez's corner on Saturday night um and and one more note a great quote from mendoza he said of his willingness to take on fundora quote i have green chili in my veins Uh, I don't know about you. I almost have to run for the toilet just hearing the words (laughs) green chili. Um, But yeah, maybe that's why Breadman considers Mendoza a live dog. Never count out the guy with green chili in his veins, right? (laughs) Um, On the other side of this equation, let's talk Sebastian Fundora. We're very familiar with him at this point. We've interviewed him for the podcast three times. This is his fifth fight on Showtime. We all know about his ridiculous height and reach. So rather than dig into his fighting style or strengths and weaknesses again, Kieran, I'll ask you where he fits in the junior middleweight division. Uh, Jamel Charlo and Tim Zhu are expected to fight for the lineal title this summer. Where does that leave Fundora? If he beats Mendoza, is he in the pole position for the Charlo Zhu winner? In essence, I'm asking what's at stake for the towering inferno on Saturday. So after the Erickson
1: Lubin fight, Fandora seemed to have put himself in a position where he was, if not exactly next in line, and perhaps the next in line after the next in line, if you know what I mean. Um, But you can make the case he took a wee half step or so back with that last outing against Ocampo. Yeah, he won convincingly, but it wasn't, you know, necessarily quite what we'd expected or hoped for on the back of that Lubin performance and maybe you could blame all of us for that in that we'd all been wondering why he wouldn't at least attempt to box more from the outside and he did that for part of the contest and it wasn't all that impressive and he didn't look terribly comfortable doing it um you know since then he arguably has lost his unofficial crown as the hottest young thing in the division um to Jesus Ramos um Who isn't as seasoned as Vendora, but but looks very much the real deal and and seems on a rapidly upward trajectory. Um, where does he stand right now? Look, um, obviously Charlie's ahead of him, and obviously now Tim Zhu. You put Brian Castaño in there too. That's probably the top three at one hundred and fifty-four pounds now. Yeah. Uh, if you assume that Liam Smith is now a middleweight, um, and then behind them you've got like this in in various orders. Yeah, you've still got a couple of the the relevant veterans, Lubin still, Tony Harrison perhaps. But then you've got like this grouping of of up and comers, Fandora, Ramos, Charles Conwell, Israel Madrimov. Um, I do think a good win for Fandora probably puts him back at the top of that list. Um and it'll be a bigger scalp than it would have been a year or two ago. Um Right. You know, you mentioned Mendoza losing to Ramos in 2021, but going 10 with him looks pretty good now, Yeah. Uh, given what Ramos has been doing. And he has that stoppage win now over Rosario, even though Rosario, I think, is pretty much done at this point. Um, so I think it's a good measuring stick matchup for him. And I'll put the line as to what constitutes a good result for him at about a 117-111 tight points win. I think that better is a solid result. If he can throw in a knockdown or two, get a wider point win if he can get a stoppage, then that's a very good result. Yeah. Um, I think anything less than that starts to feel like maybe not quite such a good result. Um it, it's easy to be a overly critical of Fandora at times. I think simply because he's such a unique fighter, I think we all struggle with how to rate and categorize him and and and, and class his performances. But the fact of the matter is he hasn't really disappointed yet. He's continued to deal with every challenge that's been placed in front of him. And I'm kind of the same way as you in that oh, I think he should be able to do the same with Mendoza. And, and the only question in my mind is is how good he looks in doing so. To which end? Let's make some picks. Yeah. Um, you are clinging to a narrow 29-28 lead through the first three months of the year. And you're up
0: first. So what's your pick in Fundora Mendoza? So, as I said, I, I don't quite see what Breadman sees here. Mendoza is good. He's dangerous. But as you just alluded to, I, I wonder how much his best win was mostly about Jason Rosario being kind of shot. Uh, mm-hmm. And the rest of his resume features zero indications that he's on Fandora's level. Now, would I be shocked to see Mendoza land a big shot and send Fandora at least to the canvas again like Lubin did? Not at all. He he could have moments. But I can't see him coping with everything Fundora brings to the table. He's definitely not going to outwork Fundora. Yeah. I think his best hope is that Fundora, having gone the distance in a forgettable fight last time out, gets a little over aggressive, trying to impress and leaves an opening, and Mendoza can make him pay. But more likely, I think this is a lot of one way traffic. I really don't have a hard time picking Fundora to win. I do have a hard time deciding whether he can get the stoppage. I'll say he doesn't. Uh, Mendoza has good enough footwork to get through the trouble spots and last the distance. I'll say Fundora by clear-cut unanimous decision, probably right about on that line you were talking about of what qualifies as a good win, something in that 117-111 kind of range.
1: Yeah, we're at a very similar uh, position with regard to how we think of, about this fight. Um, I even have the word one-way traffic written down in my notes. Look, <laughs> um, uh, Mendoza, Mendoza's solid. He's rugged. He's dependable. He's a strong guy. He's a hard puncher, but I feel like this is a bad style matchup for him. He he does quite like to fight on the inside, and while that's normally a good strategy against a taller opponent, it isn't against this freakishly tall opponent, Um I don't think this is going to take terribly long to turn into a fairly close-quarters action-packed fight. And I think Mendoza gets his licks in when that happens. But ultimately, I just think it's just going to be too much. Fandora's going to start lumping him up by around the middle rounds, I think. It's just going to be a constant thudding kind of punishment. Mm -hmm. And I think by the second half of the fight, it's going to be all one-way traffic. (laughs) I am going to for a stoppage I think hmm. uh, I also would not be surprised at all if Mendoza makes it to the end but I am gonna go for a stoppage here and I don't think it's gonna necessarily gonna be a you know Mendoza's flat on his back kind of thing he might not ever leave his feet I think it's gonna be his eyes are closing his face is lumped up he's just taking too many shots it's either a referee or a corner stoppage I'm gonna say round nine for Sebastian Fandora.
0: Okay, yes, quite, uh, quite possible that that will be the outcome. Uh, the co-feature is a 10-rounder at a catch weight of 143 pounds, and it features a familiar face to the Showtime boxing audience, Brandon Lee, who will be fighting on the network for the eighth time. Wow. He also has 20 non-Showtime wins, giving him a record of 27-0, 23 knockouts, and he's taking on a veteran making his Showtime debut, Mexico's Pedro Campa, who's 34-2-1 with 23 KOs. Kempa was stopped in seven rounds by Teofimo Lopez last time out, but before that, he had an eight-fight unbeaten streak going. The 23-year-old Lee is two fights removed from the toughest fight of his career, when he got decked hard by Will Madera in round three, but rallied to win a lopsided decision. Kieran, is Kempa a step-up or a setup for Lee? Uh, answer that question. Tell me where your hype meter currently stands on Brandon Lee, and make your pick. Lee,
1: another one, is a tough one to gauge right now. Um, it feels as like if it's been a couple of years since his last truly impressive performance, and indeed I went to BoxRec, and yeah, it has been almost exactly two years mm. from since what i considered his last really, truly impressive performance. just is that third round stoppage of Samuel Teah, which was really, I think, made us all set up and think, oh yeah, this could, could really yeah. be real, right? Um, but again, maybe it's too easy to be critical of the, of the lad. Um, Stopping Juan Araldes in seven was a good result. Winning nine of ten rounds against Zachary Ochoa was a good result. Winning nine of ten rounds against Will Madera, basically every round except the one in which he was dropped, was a good result. The problem is they weren't necessarily great results. Right. And, and after blasting through his opposition and scoring knockout after knockout, he hasn't even scored a knockdown in his last three fights. Um, that does include a pair of ten rounders, the wins over Ochoa and Madera. And getting those rounds was important for him and helpful for him after having so few rounds in the early stages of of his career. Um, But it does raise the question of whether those early knockouts were were a shimmerer, really. Um, He could stand to have an impressive performance again, and I do think that against Camper, he just might get one. This could be another Styles Make Fights thing. Um, Camper's a come-forward kind of guy. He, He kept coming forward against Teofimo Lopez, and he was fighting aggressively against Carlos Jimenez until he was knocked out cold, so... He might be the perfect person to bring out the best in Lee. Um, He's also had issues with his eye swelling before. And a little like the Fondora fight, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a situation in which Lee is lumping him up in an exciting, but, you know, I think, again, perhaps progressively more one-sided battle. I think Lee gets a knockdown again, and I think he gets a knockout again in a pretty decent contest. I'm going to say Lee stops him in eight.
0: All right. Uh, I think Kampa is, is made to order for Brandon Lee. Uh, again, some similar wording in our notes. I've got the words comes forward here. Uh, I believe you said <laughs> come forward, guy. That's that's the thing that most stands out about Kampa's style. He, he's there to be hit uh, and he's not too dangerous a puncher, but he probably won't go away quickly and easily. So, uh, So I think as he has his last several fights, Lee will get rounds in. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting barometer fight. Uh, We saw Teofimo Lopez dominate Kampa and stop him in the seventh. So, you know, can Lee be as dominant? Can he stop Kampa any sooner than that? If he does, if this is a KO somewhere in the first five rounds, that's very good for the Brandon Lee hype machine, Mm -hmm. uh, which undoubtedly did cool off a hair after the Will Madera scare and the other fights he's had surrounding it. I'm going to say Lee does get Kampa out of there, but doesn't beat Teofimo's time. Uh, I think, like you do, that it's kind of an accumulation that gets to Kampa. And exact same pick as you, I think they stop a (laughs) one-sided fight in round eight. Yeah, the disturbing thing is, well, I guess we had a slight difference there in the main
1: event, but we've been getting disturbingly close, even by our standards. Like, that pay-per-view up picks were...
0: Yeah, we haven't... We've diverged on some methods of victory, but we haven't diverged on who's going to win a fight in a few cards now. But uh, we still have a couple more picks to go here. We do. We do. Anything is possible. Well, not anything, but um, (laughs) lots of things are possible.
1: Uh, The the opening bout uh, is also a 10-rounder. This one is in the featherweight division. We have Showbox graduate Luis El Martillo. Nunez, 18-0, 13 KOs, facing fellow unbeaten Christian Olivo, 20-0-1, just 7 KOs. Uh, Both fighters are young. Nunez is 23, Olivo is 24. Olivo has never fought on Showtime, and there's actually very little footage of him available on YouTube, so we're in a bit of a best guess situation with this one. Um, Eric, hit me with a factoid or observation about each of these fighters, and then with the limited information available, um, make your pick.
0: So, uh, my factoid about Nunez uh, ties in with uh, you introducing him there. You mentioned his nickname. Uh, we have seen him before, but never with his current nickname. Uh, he, he was the twist, used to come out to the sweet sounds of Chubby Checker, uh, but he and trainer Andre Rozier ditched it because, quote, it made no sense. So he's now, <laughs> uh, as you said, El Martillo, which translates as. The hammer, Uh, definitely more intimidating than the twist, although much less unique. Uh, Erickson Lubin is the hammer, Cletus Selden, the Hebrew hammer, and uh, of course, not a boxer, but uh, let us not forget Greg the Hammer Valentine. Um, So anyway, there's your Nunez factoid. For Olivo, two facts, which can be gleaned from a careful look at his box rec page. He's never been in a fight scheduled for more than eight rounds before. And in his first 11 fights, he fought nobody with a winning record. His opponents were a pathetic 10, 109, and 7 combined. But in his last six fights, he has really stepped it up. Uh, all six opponents had winning records. They were a combined 87, 22, and 2. So he's been taking on decent opposition, at least according to their records, and winning comfortably. I watched that one fight of his that's out there on YouTube, uh, an eight-round unanimous decision over 12-0 and at the time, Adrian Montoya. Oliva looks solid. Um, he's tall for this weight. He's fairly aggressive, steps into his jab, throws a decent lead right hand. He likes to work from the outside, but is plenty willing to trade inside. It's so hard to say off one fight and, and the limited information his record provides, but you know I get the sense this guy is pretty good. Um, and I also think that this is probably the closest call on the card uh, and uh, could turn out to be the best fight on this card. I I like Nunez too. Uh, He's been mostly impressive on Showtime. He shut out Javon Garnett over 10 rounds in his Showbox debut. He stopped Carlos Arrieta in the 10th round the next time. And then on Showtime Championship Boxing on the Benavidez Lemieux card, eked past Jonathan Fierro, 96-94 on all cards. Fierro was just a bit raw and, and Nunez rose narrowly above him, this one seems like a tough call, you know, good, but not necessarily great prospect versus total unknown quantity with a nice record. I'm really tempted to make the upset pick, but I can't quite pull the trigger. I, I will go with Nunez, but only by majority decision. I'm impressed enough by little I saw of Olivo to say he keeps this close.
1: Yeah, I had uh, I'm having a very hard time with this pick because of having so little information on Olivo, um, you know, even. Even you mentioned that the, the quali- that the record of his opposition has improved, but then you look at, say, his last, his most recent opponent. He w- entered the fight with a record of fourteen and no. But then you look at his opposition, guys with records of seven, eleven and one, mm-hmm. two and four, twelve, twelve and two, one and ten. Well, you know, you get the idea. Um, so it's just, it's just so hard to to grade and get a sense of exactly how good he is except that that limited kind of eye test um he does look like he's physically difficult to deal with like he said he looks pretty tall for his weight he is aggressive good snapping jab but i don't know it's a little bit of a stab in the dark here i think we're going to keep up our record (laughs) of staying with the same or recent record of same victor Different margin of victory. I actually also think this could be a cracking fight, but I think what looks to be Olivo's uh, aggression might work against him here. And I'm going to pick Nunez to get him late. Uh, Olivo walking into something uh in an otherwise close fight. I'm going to say Nunez stops him in round eight.
0: All right. So you've got, uh, I believe, on this card a KO9 and a couple of KO8s. So a slightly shorter night. I will be rooting for your picks.
1: Yes. I mean, compared to the pay-per-view, when we, I think, realized it was going to be a late night and from our predictions, and it certainly was. Um, yeah. Perhaps I'm just, I'm just optimistic to get through the weekend. We will see.
0: Right. All right. Uh, we, we still have another Showtime triple header to preview, uh, but uh, let, let's break things up a bit. Let's uh, slide in the ultimate podcast palette cleanser. Let's play the fight game. Uh, Kieran, are you ready for the boxing trivia game that continues to sweep the nation and break the internet that is often imitated but never duplicated? (laughs) Indeed. Well, uh, as ready as I ever am. So no. So no. Okay, got it. All right. Uh, Here you go. Clue number one. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the exact year like you did last week and giving me just a bit too much information, but this first clue will give you a strong sense of the time frame and may reveal the exact year. This was the main event of a card that included Oscar De La Hoya's 8th pro fight, KO1 Troy Dorsey, Vernon Forrest's 3rd pro fight, KO2 Augustine Renteria, and Kirk Johnson's 2nd pro fight, KO1 Earl Talley.
1: So, I think Oscar racked up some fights pretty early on, and he would have turned pro late 92, so this is 93 or 94. Um... Okay, so possibly late '93, early '94. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the main event, so clearly a top-ranked card.
0: Mm-hmm. You're doing you're you're doing a fine job uh, at figuring working your way through the clues so far. Mm-hmm.
1: Who who else? Vernon
0: Forrest, did you say? Yeah, uh, Oscar Vernon Forrest and Kirk Johnson were uh, the three fighters I mentioned uh, who won on this card. Who did Top Rank have then?
1: They had Barrera then, didn't they? Top Rank. Do they have Barrera in '94? Not yet. No, not yet. Or Marquez. Who is Top Rank's big star at the time?
0: I'll I'll give you a moment to think while I while I while I note that uh, there are definitely some uh, some sick fucks out there like Dan Raphael, who remember every undercard they've ever seen and already know the answer based on the, the fights I've said around oh, the undercard no question.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No. I don't I can. OK, I, f- I
0: feel good about landing on the year, but I can. Can't conjure up a guess. Want to move on to clue two? Yeah. OK. All right. Here we go. Clue two this fight matched a man who has been portrayed in at least one major motion picture against a man who has acted in at least one major motion picture. Who's acted in
1: a major motion picture. (laughs) Um. So the only fighters I can think of off the top of my head who have acted in major motion pictures I can think of Antonio Tarver. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh crap, Tommy Morrison!
0: You've gone very. St- I am remaining. I am remaining silent. I am trying to give nothing away.
1: Wasn't Tommy against Lennox? So it hasn't
0: been portrayed in there. Tommy Morrison, George Foreman. Bing, Bing, Bing! We've got it on Clue Two. Well done. (laughs) Those were good clue. That was a good clue, actually. I, I figured there was like no chance you'd get it on one unless you were a Dan Rayfield type who like committed I'm undercards to memory. But right, that you know. but the, but the t- clue two you had a, a decent shot at at figuring it out because of the yeah acted in a major motion picture. If you thought of yes. Tommy Morrison in Rocky Five, you, you'd get there. So I well like done. That, actually, no, apart from Antonio Tarver and Tommy Morrison, I was actually struggled to think of. Um... There have been others. It just I mean obviously there have been others, but the. Um, like for example, the when I was saying thinking portray, portrayed in at least one major motion picture, thinking of George Foreman, not just the movie he has coming out about himself, but I was thinking more that he was portrayed in the Will Smith Ali movie by Charles Shuford. Uh, not that right. he would be the answer to this question, but James Toney oh, played Joe Fraser I in that movie. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know? oh that's true so he did yeah yes. so you know you could you might have so there there have definitely been plenty of boxers have acted in movies whether as boxers or something oh, else but... Roy, of course roy was in the matrix of course. yes there's but, another one yes. Yeah. so uh I'll, I'll read now the remaining three clues uh the third clue was going to be the loser of this fight would bounce back to claim a lineal championship in his very next fight uh now, I, had I said the lineal heavyweight championship, I think that completely gives right. it away. I left it a little more wide open than that. But clue four, the winner of this fight would blow a massive potential payday by suffering a shocking first round KO loss just two fights after this. And clue five. Clue wow. five. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Clue five, this 1993 heavyweight fight at the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas saw a Rocky Balboa protege turned enemy outbox a 44 year old future Hall of Famer by George. (laughs) (laughs) I leave nothing to chance with clue
1: five. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I'm not sure that I would have got it on 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 clue three um but i think yeah four i would have gotten it that was michael bent wasn't it yes Uh, correct yeah yeah
0: yeah tommy tommy morrison did that a couple of times blowing big paydays with a shocking loss but uh first round ko had to be michael bent whereas ray mercer got him in the fifth
1: yes actually tommy morrison should be the subject of a motion picture
0: that's just a fascinating freaking tragic story yeah well there was a good documentary done on him that i've seen um but uh but i don't think that they've made a uh a scripted dramatic film about him. And uh, yeah. yeah, there's a there's a lot to cover there if they want to. Indeed. I guess we have to do a review of big George Foreman at some point. Perhaps. I'm going to sit back, wait and see whether people say it's any good or not, and then assess.
1: From the very limited
0: amount of trailers that I've seen,
1: it looked like they had done a pretty good job of getting his fighting style and that down and in, in the fight scenes, which I thought was an impressive, that kind of almost that's super relaxed at least in the right. latter stages of his career like like straight right hand i thought oh they put some effort into getting that right so that made me a little bit intrigued but um yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, the only thing i took away from the trailer was that facially the guy that's playing him does not remind me of george foreman in any way really and I'm, right I, I don't feel like he's a he, he's a good match in that regard but mm. uh yeah i don't know it's as much like creed 3 i will sit back with no no definite promise that i intend to see it but if people say it's good uh, i may see it and actually speaking of creed 3 uh, uh, my wife and son did go see it last week and both came back saying they liked it a lot so now maybe maybe i have to watch creed 3
1: i, I did hear good good things about it. i know that creed 2 kind of turned you off the whole thing i did i did but
0: mm. Yeah. All right. all right. Maybe I'll give it a chance. Our oh, boy, stitches is in it. So there you go. Oh, all right. Uh, okay. Uh, well done on your uh, correct guess in two there. Uh, it was a fun little way to break up the previews. Now we must get back to work uh, on Friday from the Cash Creek Casino in Brooks, California, outside Sacramento. We have us a Showbox triple header, two 10-rounders and an eight-rounder. The headliners in the 140-pound division, Shenard Bunch, who's fought on Showbox before, Brings a record of 20 wins, one loss, one draw, 16 knockouts into the ring against Mexico's Brian Flores, who is 23-0-1 with 13 KOs. He's a newcomer to Showtime. He's only fought outside Mexico once. That a quickie first-round KO deep on an off-TV Showtime undercard in 2021. Pretty much classic Gordon Hall showbox matchmaking (laughs) here, Kieran. Tell me what you're looking for out of this matchup. Break the styles down a bit and uh, make a pick. Yeah, Bunch is a boxer-puncher. He's got a nice snapping
1: jab, fast hands, very nice left hook to both body and head, solid right cross. Um, his technique is solid. His level of experience is good um, for where he's at. Um, viewers may remember him getting kind of jobbed for, out of a win against General Nelson, Vigoro, or Boca Chica. Um, <laughs> coming away with a draw and about, he probably deserved to win. And I think that's the fight that perhaps began the end of your brief love affair with the best name of yeah, boxing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he says. Um, and that's just one of two uh, non-wins on his record. His only loss came over four rounds in very early in his career. It could probably be forgotten. Um, he recently dropped Hank Lundy a couple of times en route to a 10-round decision win. And, well, that doesn't mean anything like it did even five years ago. That's not a solid win for a young man who's still a prospect. Um, it's difficult for me to assess just how high Bunch's ceiling is. He doesn't necessarily feel like a blue chipper, but... I think he's got some genuine potential. Um, you know, from what I've seen of Flores, though, he looks it's a bit ordinary to me, to be yeah. honest. Um, I watched two of his most recent wins, a, a TKO9 over Nestor Medana and a 10-round unanimous near-shutout win over Placido Ramirez. I thought Medana had him looking pretty uncomfortable at times. and I thought even against Ramirez, which he won going away, he just looked a bit ordinary um his punches to me look slow and a little wide he's tough he's got very awkward and effective defenses his hands are constantly busy um when he's in defensive mode <laughs> i can't imagine he's easy to break down or even get to um i would think the bunch's best hope is that flores tries to be aggressive because that's going to leave him with plenty of opportunities to punch between flores's punches and land his sharp fast counters otherwise i think he um I think he might have difficulty getting through Um, if Flores becomes, you know, at all hesitant to throw. um, It's a bit of a tough pick for me, not in terms of who wins. I I think Bunch looks to me to be a level or two above Flores, but in how it ends, I'm going to guess that Flores is tough enough, wily enough, and difficult enough to go the full distance, even if over the last few rounds he's kind of hanging in there scrappily, uh, i think bunch by hard-earned but ultimately reasonably wide unanimous
0: decision okay um so uh chenard bunch is managed by russell pelts that's uh, one notable uh, factoid about him and uh, in that last fight that you mentioned the Lundy fight uh that was the fight i had brought up that was walking distance from my house uh, at a, a card i had no desire to attend because the athletic center where it took place Is owned and operated by an objectively bad person who surrounds his business with signs supporting objectively bad politicians but i digress uh i like bunch uh fast hands good skills his draw against boca chico was definitely a robbery bunch clearly won that fight um I like what I've seen from Flores, but I must admit, you have uh, out-efforted me on this one. You said you watched two fights of his. I only watched one, so uh, maybe my laziness will catch up to me. Uh, I thought he has solid boxing skills. Uh, He can pour on the pressure, especially when he gets his man hurt. Not a huge puncher, but solid enough. Ah, To me, this is just, you know, more good showbox stuff where I, I can't really see a massive divide between the two, or, or a case made that one should be considered a clear favorite. Um, I just don't feel passionately about uh, about picking a side here. But we do have to make picks, even when we don't feel passionately one way or the other. So I'm also going to pick Bunch just on what looks to me like a slight edge in hand speed and a slight edge in punching power. And he has that tremendous amateur career, and thus a ton of experience. I find him the hardest, harder guy to pick against here. Um, fascinatingly, he is on a 10 fight streak of either knocking his opponent out in the first round or going the distance. So I kind of wish I could wait and make my pick uh, after the first round, but uh, I don't think we'll allow that. So I'm going to say Flores gets out of the first round and uh, gets out of the next nine as well. And that it is bunched by close, unanimous decision in what could be an excellent fight. So despite you putting in greater effort than I did in researching this, we end up with the same pick.
1: The thing to always remember is that the one person who will have put in much more effort than us into looking at these fighters <laughs> is Gordon Hall. And if he's made this map is far more likely to be a close and competitive match than yes. it is not that's so, a good default setting yes yes it is exactly um we have a late replacement bout as our co-main the originally scheduled fight fell out due to injury uh so on about a week's notice we're getting a 10-rounder at 154 pounds between jaya brown from schenectady new york 13-0 nine ko's and argentina's guido Schram, 15-1-1 with nine ko's and in the eight-round opener Also at 154 is a battle of unbeatens. Raul Garcia of the Dominican Republic, who is 12-0 with 10 KOs, making his U.S. debut versus Jersey City's Robert Terry, 9-0, 3 KOs. Eric, is there one fighter among these four or one matchup among the two that you particularly have your eye on?
0: Well, we hear all the time uh, about how in the old days, boxers would have full-time jobs and fight like 10 times a year. Um, In the modern day, there are still a lot of boxers who have other jobs, uh, especially if they aren't at a level as boxers where they can make enough fighting to pay all the bills uh, or get subsidized for a while by a manager who has money and believes in them, that was Jaya Brown for a while. He he drove a FedEx truck to make ends meet while hoping this boxing thing would take off, but he's not driving that truck anymore. He is a full-time boxer making that full commitment and hoping it pays off. He has the backing of promoter Joe DeGuardia. He had a good amateur career, a record of 80 wins, four losses, and uh, as a pro, as he said, 13 and 0, although the opposition has told us next to nothing. Um, Schram is unquestionably a huge step up in quality for Brown. Shram is promoted by Samson Lukowitz usually doesn't waste his time with fighters who aren't going places he's a pressure fighter um he's faced better opposition as a pro so far than brown has so this matchup has my attention and you know brown is about to find out whether he indeed has what it takes to get somewhere as a full-time boxer or should maybe be a part-time boxer with a day job uh Hmm. how about you uh who are you particularly keen to see in action on this undercard well, I'm quite interested in in the opening matchup generally um, between
1: Garcia and Terry. It's it's another one of those showbox fights that you really want to commend both boxers for taking. I, you know, I know that we we say, well, you know, boxers should, you know, be bet on themselves and take risks. But still, you know, these are two undefeated junior middleweights with solid amateur backgrounds. Um, and they're betting on themselves to come out of this challenge and, and use it as a springboard. Um the younger man, Raul Garcia of the Dominican Republic, he's got the greater amount of pro experience. He has 12 fights at age 24, while Terry has eight at 29. Um, Garcia had more than 150 amateur bouts, uh, turned pro just two years ago, uh, and has since been very active as you want young boxes to be. And he said he dreamed of becoming a world champion after meeting Oscar De La Hoya as a young amateur. Hmm. Um, he's a good puncher, fast hands, uh, Good-looking young prospect. Uh, Terry had about 65 amateur fights. He was a five-time New Jersey Golden Gloves champion, 2017 National Golden Gloves finalist. Um, At 5'9", he's listed as only about a half-inch shorter than Garcia, but he looks like the shorter, stockier guy. Um, So I'm intrigued by this. This looks as if it could be an interesting clash of styles as well as a step-up for both men. And, again, you just love to see... These young guys who could definitely easily be forgiven for continuing to pad their records a little bit, just going in there and taking each other on uh, on Showbox.
0: All right. Uh, the excellent fights this coming weekend are not limited to Showtime. There are two other strong cards on Saturday. Uh, first, on DAZN from San Antonio, uh, a flyweight 12-rounder, 2022 Fighter of the Year runner-up Jesse Bam Rodriguez makes his 2023 debut against Christian Gonzalez and in the co-feature one of your faves, Kieran, Murajan Akmadaliev meets Filipino veteran Marlon Tapales. Do either of the A-sides seem to be in tough here? What are your expectations for this card? I actually spoke with Akhmedaliev the other day, and um, he talked up Tapales as a
1: legitimately dangerous opponent, although he said he felt that he uh, MJ was just on another level. And I suspect that is true. I, I do think that Akhmedaliev is a notch above Tapales. But I do also think it could be an interesting fight because... The Filipino he's, he's no mug, Topales. He actually held a bantamweight title for a short period in 2016, but then lost it on the scales in his first defence. Um, he was stopped in the 11th round when he challenged Ryoski Iwasa for a 122-pound belt a few years ago, uh, and then Owasa subsequently lost in five to Akmedaliyev, which perhaps gives you a sense of like their relative levels. Um, I do think Tapales will give Akmedaliyev a good fight, but I expect an inside the distance win for 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 the Uzbek, um christian gonzalez looks to me to be less likely to give bam rodriguez a run for his money he just doesn't seem to have the resume to really challenge a guy who's at the top of his game right now but of course just because he hasn't yet produced a victory at this level doesn't mean he can um even so i think this is a nice card uh even though both a-sides should be the favorites here but i think um bam rodriguez a, a bigger favorite than than Ahmedalia. okay uh also on sunday yeah on saturday it is a good weekend uh from newark new jersey on espn hometown star Shakur stevenson faces shichiro yoshino and a lightweight 12 rounder well top rank prospects step up on the undercard uh, heavyweight jared big baby anderson meeting george arias and lightweight kishan davis facing anthony yigit um Eric, you have positive things to say when those undercard bouts were announced, and justifiably, I think. um, Is either Anderson or Davis in danger of getting upset? And is Stevenson, who amazingly has yet to hear a single scorecard closer than 117-110, at risk of getting tested for a change?
0: I think the answers are... No, no, and no. Uh, but but maybe those answers will at least come close to being wrong. Um, I think the easiest no is on Davis Yiget. Um, it, it's a real step up for Davis. He, he's taking on a good, solid, experienced fighter. But Keyshawn Davis is an elite talent, tremendously skilled. I could see him maybe losing a round for the first time in his brief pro career, but I cannot see a way he gets upset and, and loses the fight. Big baby Anderson is probably safe too, although with the caveat that George Arias is a capable fighter. We, we of course watched him win a close one at turning stone last June and the caveat that you mentioned this, uh, earlier in the podcast, heavyweights, anything can happen. Um, but Anderson is bigger, more athletic, much harder hitting. I think he has a legit test in front of him here, but, but again, don't think there's much chance of him actually losing outright to Arias. Um, if he starches Arias and knocks him out in dominant fashion, that would be a serious statement. And uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum, I wouldn't be shocked if he struggles a lot here and doesn't look great and, and wins the fight but sees his hype cool off a tad if he's taken the distance for the first time. But I still have a really hard time picturing him losing. As for the main event, nah. Uh, Yoshino's fine, but he he's struggled in spots at the regional level in Japan, and Shakur Stevenson... You know, the way that you phrased that question and set it up, that says it all, that 9-3 is the closest anyone has come. I fully expect we're looking at another shutout here. I like this card overall, but it's possible it'll be a very low drama kind of night. Mm -hmm. All right, time for the news. And our main event this week is a very sad one. Hall of Fame lightweight champion Ken Buchanan, widely regarded as the greatest Scottish boxer ever, died Saturday at age 77. He defeated Ismael Laguna for the 135-pound championship in 1970 and lost the title to Roberto Duran in 72. He retired in 1982 with a record of 61-8 and with 27 knockouts, and he was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2000. Kieran, you are both a bit older than I am and a lot more British than I am. Uh, you presumably have more of a connection to Ken Buchanan than I do. Anything you'd like to say about him and and what he meant to Scottish boxing or or more generally British boxing? Yeah,
1: with all due respect to Josh Taylor, whose achievements when all is said and done may well outstrip his, um, Buchanan is Scotland's greatest world champion. And he's one of the best champions in British history Um, until Taylor, who idolized him, by the way. um, Mm He was Scotland's only ever undisputed champion. Uh, he added to his win over Laguna for one strap by beating Ruben Navarro for the other, in the days when there were just two alphabet bodies. Um, as we discussed on the fight game recently, the manner of his loss to Duran was pretty appalling. Uh, yes, Duran was the better man. He was winning handily, but he walloped Buchanan in the testicles after the bell at the end of the 13th round, and that's, that's a rough way to lose your hard-fought world championship. Um, you mentioned his final record of 61-8, and eight, but a better measure of how good he was was his record following his first retirement in 1975 prior to an ill-advised 1979 comeback at that stage he was 57 and three with his only defeats coming against duran in a 1970 tilt at the european championship and in one final shot at the world title just before he first quit the ring he was the BWAA fighter of the year in 1970 and uh, like you said he was inducted into the hall of fame in 2000 um alas his post fight years were not always kind. Um, He battled alcohol addiction and his son revealed last year that he'd been admitted to a care facility with dementia. Uh, In a documentary about his life that was released in 2021, he said simply, I'm just Kenny Buchanan. I was a world champion, but that's all behind me, finished and done with. I've had a good life, I've had a great life, and I enjoyed it. Rest in peace to one of the greats of British boxing. On our news undercard, one big fight is official. Devin Haney versus Vasily Lomachenko. It is May 20th on the ESPN Plus pay-per-view from the MGM Grand. And the pay-per-view has a 10 p.m. Eastern start. Although it's only a two-fight undercard uh, top ranks, Evan Korn has informed us. And it's priced a bit lower than most pay-per-views. Suggested price of $60. Uh, we have another big fight that's back on. Stephen Fulton versus Inoue, which was postponed due to an Inoue injury, has a new date of july 25th in tokyo it will stream on espn plus in the early morning hour time yay um then there's a high quality fight that's been postponed uh virgil ortiz had to withdraw again from his scheduled april 29th fight with amantis thaniones due to another rhabdomyolysis flare-up this is turning into a very concerning situation for ortiz and his fans i think actually um don't know what that means for him in the long term. Uh, two other items. Uh, as he had recently hinted he'd likely would do, Japanese middleweight Ryota Murata, a former belt holder, has officially retired at age 37. He finished with a record of 16-3 and with 13 KOs. And here's a weird one for you, Eric. Um, after Sonny Edwards signed with Matchroom Boxing, his brother, Charlie Edwards, posted a video calling his own brother out, saying that Eddie Hearn should make that fight. And um I don't know, I watched the
0: video. So it's a little hard to say whether he was joking or not. Um anything to say about any of those? I gotta start with the the last one, the the Edwards brothers. Um call me a sick person if you want, but <laughs> if if they're willing to do it, you know, brothers fight all the time. Why not why not make big money to fight each other? it's all kinda of perverse, but surely they've sparred a bunch and uh We've seen best friends fight each other in sanctioned fights sometimes just because the Klitschkos refuse to fight each other, a choice that I fully understand. It doesn't mean other brothers shouldn't be allowed to fight if they want to. This wouldn't be the first time that I would feel dirty watching boxing. Um, it's a lot less gross <laughs> than uh, Roy Jones versus Anthony Pettis, for example. Oh, I thought we'd get through the whole podcast nope, without nope. mentioning that. I had to mention that. it. I had to mention <laughs> it. Sorry. Uh, I do highly doubt Edwards versus Edwards will happen. I think others will be more offended by the idea than I am, and uh, Eddie Hearn will figure it's not worth the backlash um but i don't know from watching the video it seemed to me like he's serious uh we'll see i I doubt it'll happen but i'm not opposed to it if it does necessarily um the other stuff um i saw that 10 p.m start for haney lomachenko and almost lost my mind uh but uh the the two fight undercard at the lower price I, i guess it balances out uh but still Anyone who ever gets a main event started after midnight on the East Coast, you are on my shit list. And and that includes yes. our bosses at Showtime. Uh, you know, on one level, I like and respect you, but on another level, you're my sworn enemy. Uh, <laughs> how about how about a 9 p.m. Eastern main event for a change during primetime? Yes. What is so crazy yes. about yes. that? <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, I'm glad that Fulton Inouye is back on. Hopefully no further delays. And uh, hearing you say the words, and in a way, injury. It made me realize that's a potential tongue twister uh, there. You, you got through it nicely. Um, yeah, lastly, th- this is troubling for Virgil Ortiz. Uh, mm. Stan Yonis is being a total pro about it, not complaining, voicing support for Ortiz. Good for him. On the one hand, Ortiz is young. Uh, if this is a temporary delay in his ascent, if he's losing, say, a year or so, getting the right medications and getting this under control... He can afford that time-wise, but I don't know if maybe we need to worry that this is a serious long-term problem and that he won't be able to manage it. Uh, It obviously hasn't been quickly and easily managed so far. Um, Not sure what else to say except, you know, at this point, two fight postponements. I'm concerned for him. Uh, And obviously, priority one is living a long, healthy, happy life. Priority two is getting back in the ring.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: All right, time to bring this puppy home with the top five list. Uh, last week, you set forth the challenge, rank the top five in-fight trainer moments of all time. This was a fun one to do. Uh, I was legit entertained doing my YouTube research here. <laughs> nice. Uh, three notes before I get started. One, uh, the list skews very modern. There, there just isn't footage or records of many iconic moments pre Ali, and and most of the corner footage is, is like 1980 onward. Uh, two, you will hear me cursing a bit here uh, as I as I quote things said in corners. Uh, boxing trainers are usually not thinking about the children at home who may be watching, so you've been warned. Uh, and uh, and three. I have my top five list. Uh, then when that's done, I have a list of high comedy honorable mentions. I, I didn't feel <laughs> the pure comedy stuff belonged on the real list of top moments, but it must be acknowledged. Uh, and then I also have a, sh- a, a quick little list of negative trainer moments, stuff that was memorable, but for the uh, wrong okay. reasons. Uh, okay. So I'm giving you three lists for the price of wow. a show. I like that. <laughs> you ready for my main countdown here, Kieran?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, at number five. Emmanuel Stewart, one of the all-time great trainers, one of my all-time favorite people in boxing, he was not the most animated corner man, (laughs) usually. (laughs) That chuckle means you know where I'm headed. Uh, So so when he got animated, when he got passionate, you knew he really meant business, and that was the case in the Lennox Lewis-Mike Tyson fight, (laughs) where he felt, yeah... Lennox was winning comfortably, but he was letting Mike hang around. And Mike Tyson, if he has the strength to stand on his feet and make a fist... He's yep. dangerous. So Emmanuel was imploring Lennox to step it up and get Mike the hell out of there to the point that Emmanuel was slapping Lennox in the chest, almost going full Ric Flair on him uh, and uh, and screaming himself hoarse. Uh, Emmanuel was losing his voice. A lot of F-bombs, great passion and correct corner advice. Uh, very memorable stuff from one of the all-time greats in one of the all-time huge boxing events. That's my number five.
1: Yeah, that was one of the ones that popped into my head when I came up with this. And it's so funny because if you ever had, you know, as you did and and I did, the, the distinct pleasure of knowing Emmanuel even a little bit. He was the sweetest man. Yep, yeah. Just, just to see him just like, there were was, was some MF bombs dropped in there as well. <laughs> yes, <remember>. there were. <laughs> just, just to see him just basically beating the shit out of Lennox's chest in that in that corner. That, that was definitely one of the ones that popped into my mind when I thought of this.
0: Yeah, the CompuBox stats for Lennox had the most punches landed, but second place between Tyson and, and Emmanuel was pretty close, I think. <laughs> uh, all right, at number four, Another iconic Hall of Fame trainer in another massive heavyweight championship fight. No histrionics here. This one is on the list because it's the ultimate example of compassion from a trainer, of a trainer putting his fighter's health first. It's Eddie Futch stopping the Thrilla in Manila between rounds 14 and 15. Joe Frazier had taken some serious damage in rounds 13 and 14 particularly, came back to his corner spitting blood, swollen all over, and... Ali said later that he wasn't going to get off the stool for round 15, that he had nothing left, but Futch and Frazier didn't know that. Futch just knew he couldn't send Frazier out there to take another punch. And in a way, this was a show of real bravery and balls by Mm -hmm. Futch to stop this fight with one round to go. It's unlike everything else that I considered for my list. There's no memorable line or or corner interaction. It's just the decision he made that I think is one of the all-time best.
1: Yeah, uh, that this was also one that I, I had in my, in my head. Although I would say that there was that one line, you know, wasn't it? No one will ever forget what you did here today or something like that. Didn't he say something to yeah, that? Yeah,
0: I'm not sure if that was actually like in the corner before stopping or it or if maybe that uh-huh. was like after it was all over. But okay. uh, but yeah, that is, that is an important line. You're right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, at number three, I have yet another heavyweight title fight and uh, a trainer who will appear again on my other lists. Uh, sometimes I can't stand him. Sometimes I find him entertaining. This, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is the one instance where I think he said pretty much all the right things and helped his fighter win. It's Teddy Atlas coaching, uh, or more accurately, coaxing uh, Michael Moore through his win over Evander Holyfield. The great moment to me is when Moore comes back to his stool after one round to find Teddy sitting on that stool, asking if he wants to switch places. That was the most unique moment, but, but the rest, there were just a lot of good pep talks here for a fighter who was physically capable of winning. But mm. if he was a racehorse, he needed to get cracked with that whip. He needed yep. that motivation. He needed to be yelled at and pleaded with and insulted. And uh, in this fight, Teddy pushed just enough of the right buttons Teddy got so much acclaim for this that I think it encouraged him to become a caricature of himself in a lot of yeah. fights after this. But, but this one on its own in a vacuum, I approve of. It's my number three
1: yeah no i agree with with that sentiment actually that that that's exactly it then he just attempted to outdo himself far too often and yeah then it just became ridiculous this this one particular thing by itself actually worked and i think you're right because it worked for that particular fighter in that particular moment like teddy was the right person for him at that stage but yeah then you know you mentioned you've got a comedy list i'm and a list of uh, (laughs) i'm guessing that did you say we'd be hearing from him again? I uh, yes,
0: I, I did. Uh, spoiler, he's he's on both of the remaining lists. Okay, I thought he might be. <laughs> yeah, right. he is. Uh, all right, the top two are, to me, pretty clearly the top two, but the order was tough. Um, two iconic phrases that preceded the conclusion of all-time great fights. At number two, I've got, you're blowing it, son. Uh, Angelo Dundee with the four words Ray Leonard needed to hear Entering the 13th round against Tommy Hearns, an instant classic phrase that flipped a switch in Ray's mind. He was behind in the fight, but Angelo told him he was blowing it, and he rallied and hurt Hearns badly in the 13th and got the stoppage in the 14th. Uh, and I'll note that uh, for my oral history of the Leonard Hagler fight, uh, Leonard also credited Dundee with saying just the right thing there, a perfectly timed last round, 12th round, next champ, just when Ray was kind of out of energy. He says it got him to dig deep for mm. three more minutes. Uh, but of course, the iconic one is, you're blowing it, son. Yeah. That's my number two, and I have no qualms with anyone who puts it at number one. Indeed. And that, again,
1: when I thought, thought of this so far, it's very interesting. That I, I'm I'm almost kind of surprised that... Clearly our top five, I didn't come up with an order or anything, but these were the ones that I had in mind and I know what your number one is. <laughs> and, and for me also, it was like, what your number two is, is, I think most people would put it number one because of its historical value and all of that, but I might've just put it behind what I suspect strongly is your number one, partly because if it's the one that I think
0: of. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was you, you were there, yes. <laughs> yes. You, you know what it is, yes.
1: <laughs> the trainer, and yes. But anyway, yes, okay. to go
0: ahead, please. So at number two, I had a four-word phrase. At number one, an eight-word <laughs> phrase. You got to fucking get inside on him now. Uh, Joe Goosen, <laughs> uh, new Hall of Famer Joe Goosen, uh, in the middle of round 10 of the Corrales-Castillo fight, Breaking the rules and giving Corrales advice while replacing his mouthpiece after the second knockdown, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, But uh, in that spot, if giving advice, a lot of trainers would have said, run, hold, survive this round. (laughs) Goosen said, basically, get inside and knock this guy out. Uh, And it's not so much getting inside that won Corrales the fight, but rather the mentality of... Keep fighting. I believe in you. You can still win this. You're still dangerous. That, I think, was crucial. Corrales heard him and stopped him. Uh, another eight words. Weak steps in and the fight is over. Uh, yeah. And uh, that, to me, is the greatest trainer moment ever during a fight. Joe Goosin finding the perfect words for Chico in that situation.
1: It was the manner of the delivery, too, wasn't it? It yep. was just free calm. It was just like, well, you better fucking do it. <laughs> dude. And... <laughs> yep uh yeah just just an all-time great and uh yeah i hope we get to go to the hall again and we get to talk to joe in person because we've had him on the pod a couple times and and revisit some of these uh yeah so, some of those moments especially that one
0: i want joe in person to tell me what i better fucking do whatever he wants to tell me <laughs> I, I i feel like i need to be uh, given some some sort yes. of direction from joe Goosen. <laughs> that's
1: right that's what he could do he could do cameo
0: Oh, right. there you go.
1: <laughs> you better fucking study for that exam. You better, yes. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there you
0: go. Um, before I get to my two side lists, I'll just uh, throw out a few honorable mentions for the main list. Although I think there's a pretty clear dividing line between <clears throat> number five and and, and these. But uh, the other ones I thought about, Brother Nazim telling Shane Mosley in the Margarito fight to swim without getting wet, a really cool phrase. Uh sure. Uh, Teddy Atlas again, one other positive one from him, motivating Alexander Povetkin with lots of talk about doing it for his recently deceased father in the Shigaev fight. And I had never seen this one before, but I came across it while, uh, while searching for some ideas for this. Chris Eubanks senior's trainer slapping him across the face for showboating against Steve Collins was a, a very memorable corner Oh, okay. Uh, so, all right, you ready for my comedy list, Karen? Yeah. So I have nine, and I even gave them an order. Uh, they're not. I'm not gonna like spend a minute or two on each of all these. Right. So these are like five or ten seconds each. I'm gonna count down from nine to one. I'll just go straight through, and then you can respond. Number nine: Tim Lane promising to let Algeria out of so the cage soon during a mid-round interview at which point Pacquiao drops Algieri hard. Um, number eight, the we are firemen speech from Atlas to Tim Bradley, which some may consider actual good corner work. I don't. I think it was stupid, but entertaining. Uh, number seven, Virgil Hunter whispering sweet nothings in Brandon Gonzalez's ear. Uh, number six, Polly Malignaggi's corner having to cut off his hair extensions yes. between rounds of his yeah. fight against Lovemore Endo. Uh, number five, another fake hair situation, uh, Barry Hunter ordering Franchon Cruz desserts weave removed, saying, hey, get this off her head now. Um, now, number four, Norman Stone is funny as hell with a little distance, and I laughed my ass off watching ref Randy Newman eject Stoney when following multiple outbursts and warnings, Stone calls him a fucking jerk-off. Uh, <laughs> and then we keep getting cuts to Stone alone in the locker room During the fight, watching on a monitor, it looked like Monday Night Raw skits every time they cut to (laughs) Stoney back there. Uh, Number three, you're going to love this one, Kieran. I had forgotten all about this. Cesar Bazan's corner telling him as he's getting his ass kicked by Miguel Cotto, let's go out there and finish him. And Bazan laughs. He laughs in their face at the idea of him finishing Kodo when clearly it was Kodo who was close to finishing him.
1: I don't remember that at
0: all. Yeah, I had forgotten it, but it's a really funny moment. They're trying to encourage him, and he just laughs (laughs) at the the idea. Uh, Number two, offensive language alert. uh, Bruce Seldon's Corner versus Gerald Nobles telling him, you're getting beat by a man with titties. (laughs) and of course number one eric morales's corner versus sahir Rahim. the translation from ray torres come on come on let me put some water on your balls (laughs) (laughs) so uh, i mean that's got to be number one on the comedy list right
1: it's it's got to be and as i I think i have mentioned if not on this podcast and on our previous one the number of times where we would give jerry Olaya like a hard time about that like the crew meal and (laughs) jerry being being just the nicest guy would laugh along, like he'd sit down just to have dinner, and somebody would be like, "Oh, put some water on his balls," and Jerry would be like, "Ha oh, ha oh, ha
0: oh, ha," oh, oh. and it wasn't even him, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, and lastly, now my my short list of famous trainer moments that i thought were bad in one way or another i have just four on this list uh, and two of them are my guy teddy atlas uh t- <laughs> turning mills lane into a prop in the moore both the fight dragging him over the corner to try to get him to threaten to stop the fight very awkward um and then during the von bean fight busting out the giant 1997 cell phone and claiming ah, that, that moore's stopped. son is on the phone crying, which of course I was, a total well, I was lie. trying
1: to remember which fight that was. Yep, okay, was the Von yeah.
0: fight. Uh, and my other two Lou Duva inadvertently, possibly or probably distracting Meldrick Taylor and maybe causing that stoppage against Chavez. Uh, that's a all time, uh, all time important uh, mistake by a trainer. Uh, if we want to ascribe uh, the, the stoppage to that, and uh, of course, uh, seven words. Give me that drink I mixed. Uh, Panama oh, Lewis and yes. yes. prior Arguello oh, fight. Very memorable, not in a good way.
1: Yes, of course. The only one that, and again, it's not something that was said that maybe
0: goes in there was Angelo Dundee and and Muhammad Ali's glove. Did you think about I, that? I did. I did think about it. So it's funny. I even looked that. I I found the footage from the Henry Cooper fight, wanting to refresh my memory on on just okay. how clear it was that he did something or uh, it's kind of unclear mm. i mean it, he it seemed like in my mind there was like a big long delay that that bought ali a lot of time while uh and dundee says he like ripped the hole wider or whatever at least from the footage i saw unless something was, was cut out um it seemed like it bought him like 10 seconds or so and then they got the fight started back up again yeah. so but so i'm not sure if i mean he didn't actually replace the glove did he that uh i, I don't, see
1: i had because i remember again by, by the time i talked to
0: uh,
1: angelo about it like well, 40 years had passed or more right. than that and the tale had gotten broader yes. and and in the telling and i'm sure angie believed this version that he was telling me right. which was basically what you were saying that he just worked the thing wider but yeah i i actually haven't gone back and looked at the footage for well, I don't actually even remember.
0: And I remember reading recently somebody saying, Well, if you look at it, it adds I think they counted it out as thirteen seconds. That's that sounds and, about right based on the footage that I saw. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it may just have been a tale that that just got some traction and then right. just got a little like Willie Pep winning around without throwing a punch. <laughs> yes. That we discussed the other week. Uh, I I wonder if it just never really quite happened like that.
0: Yeah. I don't in, again, unless this is a case where the footage that exists on YouTube, there's like a, a big cut where they replaced his glove and there were like minutes that they don't include in the footage that's on YouTube. Unless, mm. unless, unless that's the case, if he widened the, the, the rip in the glove at all, it just bought him a few extra seconds. And the referee <laughs> said, fight with a fight, fight, with the rip in your glove. let get back <laughs> out there. And then he did, of right. course, uh, open up the cut pretty badly on Cooper and get the stoppage the next round.
1: Well, yeah, no wonder he had a giant rip in his glove. Of course he got it. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, that's it cuz Henry Cooper otherwise never yeah, never plays for his thick skin. Yes, yes. that's right, exactly. Uh I glad you had fun with that. Yes, that was this, that was great. This was this was a, an outstanding assignment. Uh I am uh, I, I I don't always like to be made to uh spend this much time YouTubing and working hard, but uh, in this case I had I had enough time to do it and it was well worth it.
1: And I'm glad you you thought to do like the, the bad ones too, and especially that Panama Lewis one. Let us never forget that one. So right. yes, I, I hadn't my head hadn't even gone there when I was thinking of them. So yes, that was good. That was fun. Good. Yep. All right. All right. And that will do it for this week's episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, I will be back next week for a Raskin less edition of Showtime Boxing with guest host and Mulvaney. Eric will be road tripping and unavailable to podcast. So. It is the moment that you all have been waiting for the full upgrade from occasional uninvited guest to co-host Alfie, the Showtime boxing (laughs) podcast cat and I will be co-hosting as we review the many, many Showtime fights and uh, maybe even play a raskin less round of of, of the fight game. Probably not. (laughs) However, there is a possibility that Alfie will be double booked and will have to lay in the sun in the living room window, in which case I shall find a human as backup. <laughs> okay. But until then, thanks as always for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.